Hey, good morning, and welcome to the Comics Experience Graphic Novel of the Month Club. Uh, this is our December show for the, the Comics Masterpiece Club, uh, and the book that we have this month is, um, is it, it's a really, it's, it's the epitome of that phrasing, the, the Comics Masterpiece. It is such a smart book. Uh, anyway, let's 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 get into that with with our guests. Uh, uh, oh, the book is enigma. I didn't even say it. What a moron I am sometimes. Hey, so it's enigma <laughs> with, with Pete Milligan and Duncan Fabredo, and there they are. Hello, Pete and Duncan. How hey, are hey, you? Hey. hey. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you for coming and and taking time and and doing the show. I want to actually prove just a teeny tiny bit of street cred here, because uh, from my personal collection. Here's the original uh, first print nice. uh, nice. of, of, of the trade. I, I, you know, I don't have the original comics, but I have the original trade here. So that's how long I've loved this book. And, uh, and it's really nice to have such a gorgeous version of this too. It's, it's not just a great book, but this is like a really, really, it's really, really something else, version. isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's yeah. spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah. of work went into it. It was worth it though, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. So, so my first question is always the same with everyone, and it's kind of my favorite question, and, and it's why comics? Of, of all the ways you could be expressing yourself, of all the things that you could be doing, what is it about comics? What is it about sequential stories that, that, that thrills you, that excites you, that makes you want to go? Uh, well, me first. Uh, two reasons. Uh, I was... Um... I was really into art when I was young. In fact, art was my thing. Uh, and I thought art was going to be my thing. But I was also uh, increasingly interested in stories, in writing, and in literature. And comics seemed to be uh, the perfect way to marry these two uh, interests, these two obsessions, really, of uh, stories and, uh, and, um, and art. And, uh, and secondly, um, I had lots of stories in my head. I had lots of stuff I wanted to write about. And it seemed that comic books were just a fantastic way of getting this stuff out fairly fast uh, in a really exciting kind of way. Yeah. That was... that's, 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 a, that's a really interesting answer. Um, well, we'll talk about early British comics more, but it seems to me that like part of the function, the reason is because you had a market for short stories that and that wanted that kind of that kind of thing whereas in america that all comic books were were superhero comic books essentially at, at that same time you know um it's kind of funny duncan what what's what's your why comics um i guess it was the drawing first obviously um before i was even aware of comics i drew and i drew because i think i, I fairly quickly realized it's I was, it was the thing I was better at than most kids at school. And as a fairly sickly kid, I had asthma, still do. Spent a lot of nights awake with asthma and I'd, I'd draw to distract myself. And when comics came on the scene, there were the British humor comics first. And I would draw the stuff, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd draw the characters out of the comics. Most actually, particularly Disney stuff. I remember again, really turned up by Disney stuff. Um, yeah, it, it was draw, it was the drawing it was the the environments in the drawer it was the story it was storytelling i think i probably i mean i was a, i was a reader of normal books but uh comics they had that added frisson of imagery didn't they and uh, uh something like drawing it's it's it spoke to me 
and I, I soon learned at school also is like you, if you, you you did something better than anybody else you could be quite popular um i couldn't compete doing sports or anything like that but i could draw and it was like a magic trick as far as other people were concerned so that was pretty much it really i suppose i love that i love that that it's a magic trick i uh because it, it is excuse me duncan are you popular now do you think oh hell no i, I never leave the house so i didn't say. have to face, face the uh, the slings and arrows yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's what the internet's for, isn't it? So. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so, so <laughs> I I want to get back to to the thing you both of you were talking kind of in common about about your your love of of early comics, uh, and it it really strikes me that that in England because you had the tradition of weekly comics, and there were so many different venues and. That there was a lot more demand for things that were that were um, uh, in, a, in a wide range of storytelling. Is, is is that? Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think I, if I may uh, interject, I think uh, I think the real difference between the British writers or the British comic creators was that we drew our influences less from you. You were saying that it was all uh, superheroes. I wasn't really that interested in superheroes. I mean, they didn't really, they seemed to be quite an American thing. I mean, I was reading literature. I was reading books from an early age. I was one of those guys that was quite good at sport. But um, I read a lot and I loved that stuff. And uh, it seems to be, so I, when I was thinking about comic books, I wasn't thinking so much of what superhero can I create? What I, could, I was thinking, what story can I create? Not necessarily superhero, not necessarily a comic book style story, but anything and why not i mean why not the kind of story that you might write a short story about or you might write a novel about why can't that be in a comic book and why can't that be different from either of those two and have its own quality uh, and i think that where we differed i think from some of our american cousins uh was that our our reference our points of reference and our influences were less comic books and less, certainly less superhero comic books and more literature and more art. And I think that the American guys, fantastic, obviously, there were a lot of them were, a lot of their influences were other superheroes. So it became quite self-referential. And I think the British guys, uh, one could argue, the British guys brought a different set of references into, into the equation. Sure. Uh, sure. No, 100%. I'm, I'm just sort of... I'm trying to suggest that um, that you have different kinds of, of of weekly and monthly magazines there, or or did at the time. There were there were things aimed at, at, at boys. There were things aimed at girls. There was stuff that was humor. There was stuff that was action adventure. There was stuff that was war. Like it 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 was a lot more of a range of material uh, uh, for your audience. But I think it was because of the kind of comics that were being published. Right in America. Uh, uh, Comics were still, you know, trying to raise out of, 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 you know, being taken seriously at all at that point in the in the early '80s, right? I remember when I opened the store in 1989. You know, it, it we were getting that first wave of stuff, but people would come in and and still constantly be like, "Comic books? They still make these? Like, like that? It was a, a thing at all? Do you see what I mean?" Yeah, yeah, and I, and I, it's, it's really odd. Uh, but I think you're right. I think that. There was the was uh we did have our month our weekly comics or our monthly comics, 
And then 2000 AD, I think, was the game changer. Yeah. And I think it was, it really was. I think it was where a lot of our, a lot of us cut our teeth. A lot of us started to, all, this, all these ideas we had, which which often were just normal creative kind of ideas. Uh, the I, the way, That was where we first started, I think, work through them with uh, with with art and the and the, the mixture of art and words and stories there's sometimes that a political content sometimes that a satirical content <coughs> excuse me uh well, i think i think uh 2000 ad had this punk post-punk kind of spirit and i think there was i hadn't seen that before anywhere else and i think that it, uh, it referenced other things as well didn't it pete i mean it was referencing movies like star wars and politics other things fed into it 100 percent. i mean it was kind of like yeah. it was cross-cultural i mean it it referenced other comics it referenced comic books it referenced movies a lot of movies anything that was kind of the, of the culture with the uh yeah. It referenced, including politics, and there was, there, there was a sense that I got. Uh, I mean, one thing I found with some American comics that I read, I mean, probably because I didn't read enough of them, was that they didn't seem to have that sense of an authorial presence behind some of the stories. That they were fantastic stories and fantastic art, but there wasn't a sense of a single intelligence or a single uh, set of beliefs and concerns and issues working behind that and i think with uh 2000 ad even at its most simple there was a sense of a particular point of view at sure. work there and i think that that was uh one of the uh the things that, that made 2000 AD fantastic at the beginning yeah no 100 percent. i mean i think i think one of the major differences is that is that we got fucked by the comics code for for a long time you know after the 50s and it and it really uh it really reduced the number of uh, places that were willing to publish art that was in any way challenging, right? You yeah. know, it's hard um, to be counterculture uh, if the culture is not allowed when you used to do it. Ex exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I'm glad that we finally broke through that, and 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 we, you know, now it's kind of a a, a sad joke to talk about those things, but uh, but yeah, that was still still the case, you know. Uh, it's, it's a constant. It's a constant thing that comic books are seen as superhero comics first of all and they're seen as it's like comic books are a genre and really comic books aren't a genre i right. think comic books are an art form yeah. within yeah. which there are a number of different genres yeah. uh i mean i don't know about you duncan but i've, I've had a few times when i think i was interviewed by bbc one time on the radio uh, just about how comic books were comic stories were grappling with real issues and that they were no longer Kitty comics, and that uh, you know that it was there to be able to do with what you wanted, and they all, yeah, it was they kind attempted of to serious, tell that story for about ten yeah, years. Kind of they, but it was, kind of a sorry, interview, real sort of serious kind of interview, and then when I heard it, uh, they came on and they played the Batman uh, theme to give. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was comics aren't for kids anymore. Zach so everything, yeah. basically, everything, it was, it was as though they hadn't listened to anything I'd said, which they probably hadn't, and maybe it wasn't worth listening <laughs> to. Uh, it was like everything I'd said has been negated by that kind of like the intro of music for 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, they had their one story they wanted to tell, and if you didn't actually fit that mould, then yeah, you'd be edited to fit that mould. Right. 
and they right. did that pretty much repeatedly with every documentary they ever made during the yeah. 80s and early 90s so yeah here we are again yeah so um I, let's let's talk a little bit about uh enigma and and where it came from um i don't just mean like, we, we can talk about the mind part too but i kind of want to talk about the publication history of enigma because i don't think that i've ever heard anybody really talk about uh touchstone uh and and art young's plan to do an imprint and what was going on there and how that worked what can you tell me um well, yeah. well, as someone who was involved at least in some extent yeah it, yeah, it was quite it was quite circuitous and convoluted but um, i mean art young was uh, art young was at the center of the storm uh, he was instrumental really without art the book wouldn't have existed on a number of reasons uh he originally uh, he had started work for he was working at dc at one time then he'd, he'd started work for disney well from where touchstone well, was created and uh and art and i really got on very well and we kind of was working on this book called Enigma for Touchstone. And it's gonna be one of it was gonna be one of its first books. And uh and then when um Touchstone Duncan, if I'm getting this wrong, let me know because I could easily get it wrong. But uh, when Touchstone didn't come to fruition, I think he went back to Vertigo. yeah, okay. There's a bit there's a little bit more to this. He brought, he brought the books that he liked with him. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember um, there was the issue, um, and I only learned this only a few years ago, even um, that while art was at well, it's Touch Mark, wasn't it? Like uh, oh, Touch yeah. Mark for comics, yeah. like Touchstone for movies. So it's right. the adult yeah. side yeah. of comics. The one who didn't have. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but there was an issue I didn't realise as I was drawing the book, and I think it's around issue three or four as I was drawing. Though those issues, um, I got the I, I heard that something was going down that there might be a shift um, over to DC, and it was it was I was it was quite a shock at the time it was. But uh, what I didn't learn so many years later that one of the things that Art hadn't confided with D, with Disney, he had an assistant at Disney who knew every detail about the content of uh, of Enigma of the storyline. He uh, he knew the twist. He knew what was going to happen with the relationship with Michael Smith and Enigma. Do you remember this, Pete? Yeah, but Disney didn't well, know any homosexual uh, angle on it. Exactly, no. and there was a plan. They if they thought it was a superhero comic, because you know, there are superheroes in it. Yeah, uh, and in fact, at one time, Art said uh, one of the one of the higher up said, "There's a lot of talking in this, isn't there?" And he said, "Well, yeah." Just... <laughs> People talk in these books, you know, and uh, they, <laughs> they thought it was a superhero book, which it is in a sense, but it's yeah. kind of an anti superhero combo. But it's still, it involves superheroes, so I suppose one could argue it's a superhero book. Uh, but yeah, so th they had no idea the whole gay angle. Uh, wasn't, I don't there, wasn't there a thing where, um, if Disney put their foot down before? Uh, about the, the gay aspects, that Enigma could have turned out to being a woman instead, changing the nature of the story entirely. Oh, well, look, and a really that. badly drawn woman at that, let's face it. Uh, um, well, uh, but, thank I mean, goodness look, it didn't go that far. Well, someone else would have written it, because I wouldn't have. Uh, I mean, no, I know. Well, obviously. Woman, but, uh, 
No, I mean, it was, Art just uh, chanced it a bit. Uh, but as it was, I think he thought that if they heard about it, uh, it would they, they would be kind of like, they would be kind of scared off. But when they started to read it and saw it develop, they'd be more likely to uh, to kind of embrace it and see it for, yeah. it for what it was and not just some kind of a use of the gay thing as some kind of a easy kind of like thing for notoriety. But uh, yeah. I think that they, he thought that, or maybe just thought that if I hold on long enough, they'll be in so deep they won't be able to cancel it. Well, I don't know. That's the question for art, yeah. Well, we have to remember, um, Enigma wasn't the only book at Touchmark. I mean, True. there was uh, the Grant Morrison book, Sebastiano, and yeah. uh, Mercy with um, Dematis, yeah. and uh, oh, grief, uh, Paul Johnson. We brought them all over to Vertigo, didn't they? Yeah, they sure did. Yeah. yeah. And they were yeah. good books. I mean, they and really, they kind of, uh, when Vertigo launched as Vertigo, uh, I think that the books that uh, are brought back from our touch mark was a really important kind of like section of uh, of that initial kind of a uh, burst of vertigoism, I think. Yeah. Well, they were the first original books, weren't they? Because, yeah. I mean, Sandman was obviously strong, but it was an existing title at DC already. So, I mean, obviously, Good to be in Vertigo uh, is a strong spine. Well, the but... name Vertigo, I don't think, quite existed then. Uh, I remember having no. a conversation. I remember having a conversation with Karen Berger about potential titles for this. This before then, it had always been known as the Berger books or the Karen right. Berger group, you know. Uh, 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 and she, she talked to me about, do I have any ideas for uh, names for this new group? And I said maybe we could call it Enigma Comics because I just thought in some ways, unless Enigma was my comic, would I get a piece of reaction? You know, from this, uh, <laughs> and she said, "Yeah, right, Milligan. Nice try. You know, move on." To <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. That's great. I, uh, I, I, uh, I love hearing about those those early days of Vertigo from from your side because you know, from my side, that was right when I opened. Was kind of when Karen was getting all of this stuff out and starting to transform uh american comics you know in that way like making something that was viable uh and you know ultimately we get great books like this out of it which i i just love um uh i i don't i, I don't actually know what I, oh touch mark that's what i was going to ask um do, do we know why disney decided to just cancel the line of comics and not do it rather than i i think i think our young stole money and <laughs> and, uh, and, he, and he basically said, either you walk, we won't be calling the police, or we're calling the police. I think that was, wasn't it, Duncan? <laughs> oh, offering the mouse powdered substances. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I think yeah. perhaps it was ill considered. I think perhaps they hadn't really thought about it. And, right. the, and, so. how, and perhaps the power of art's persuasion kind of like got them into thinking this could be a great idea and they thought it'd be a great idea and it would have been a great idea. I think they probably hadn't thought about it deeply. And yeah. when they did start to think about it deeply, they probably just thought we don't want anything of this. They didn't have the vision to see the yeah. comics would become this thing. It's uh, it's strange to me though because because Touch Stone existed and 
Touchstone did produce some movies at least that were that were interesting and had you know real ideas in them. Yeah. I, it it I it's weird that they would get cold feet in that way to me. You know, um, they didn't have the vision to see the connection that was going to be happening and and how great it could have been for. Uh, I mean, how good could it have been for uh, Disney if yeah. all those Vertigo books had actually yeah. gone to this yeah. thing called a uh, Touchmark? Yeah. I mean, just think, Disney wouldn't have needed Marvel, would they? They had Enigma. Yeah. Whole world would have been different. <laughs> what would need? Whole world would have been different. <laughs> you might be a Marvel verse character at that point. Um, uh, I'm yeah. So uh, let me let me ask you a question about about how you pitch a book like this, because because it really strikes me that it's it's really kind of self enclosed of an idea um, structurally, if you know what I mean. Like you know, normally if you pitch a comic, you know it's it's a one or two paragraph kind of thing. How do you how do you pitch a book like this where where so much of what it is is the art. I, I don't want to give away the end uh, for for okay. you know, anybody who hasn't okay. watched it yet, you know, okay. or read it yet. Um, uh, how, how, how do you how do you put well, that together? I mean, does, did that make sense as a question? I don't. Yeah, it kind of does, but often it's about relationships in this kind of story. Uh, I mean, I'd, I I was a friend of art, and I still am a friend, and we're all friend of art, and uh, and I think in this case it was. We had a beer. I think we were. In, we, I think I was in uh, LA at the time. I think uh, we. I talked to him about this idea I had uh, um, about the thing you don't want to talk about, and also <laughs> about how now it would kind of use superheroes, but the superheroes would be used in a in a postmodern kind of way that not is not a usual way of using them because uh, he knew that I wasn't a superhero comic book writer really. And it wasn't where my interests lay, but they could be used in an interesting way uh, for this story. And I, I gave him the germs of what the story was about. It was about this comic book, which the characters started to come alive from it. And, you know, but, and then it becomes a story about this, this thing which you have to buy the book to read to, to understand what it is. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, that was because I had a relationship with art. Uh, I think, I think we had a couple of beers one evening, sitting outside his hotel, and we thought we have to do this. Mm. Simple as that. Can I ask you a question? Actually, I don't think I've even asked you this before. How fully formed was that entire concept of Enigma? Because it I was... remember I I didn't ask you. I don't think I ever had a synopsis at all, bar a few sentences from Art. And I just, I was, I was still relatively new to yeah, I, I, the, I the broad strokes. I mean, what's interesting uh, about, I, mean, I don't think Awa might be telling him, uh, saying, telling him this, but part of the, part of the uh, impetus of the story for me, and part of, I think, the very similitude, uh, to use a, a posh word, uh, a fancy word, um, was art well, at that time was coming out as gay. Um, yeah, and and it was quite a beautiful thing to see, really, because uh, I mean, I'd, and uh, curse, it really was a sense of we really did get a sense that a person who 
you know the word normal is a word which is banded around and it's a very strange and loaded kind of a word but i was really i was really struck by the sense that art was uh he became a very he became a more normal person for what his normal was as he became gay if that makes sense uh for example i would um would be at some kind of do or some kind of party with art when he was still uh ostensibly straight and you know i would say to him look i'm in a relationship at the moment if you you know if you kind of see a girl if you see a, a young woman and you want to leave me i'm okay mate you know uh and he never did because he never did because he wasn't that interested actually that he wasn't that interested and so he struck me that when he did start to self-realize uh he he became much more centered became much more as if like a normal he became the correct version of art young and it was quite beautiful to watch and some of the scenes in enigma were drawn from he took me to a gay bug he started he started to then explore in los angeles and uh, he took me to um, uh, a gay bar in a in a club in and it was very interesting because as a straight person to be in a, in a place where you are more, if you like, objectified in a more open kind of way. I think where the women are all the time, uh, I think it was quite, a, it was really useful and interesting kind of like experience. And it's one that I use in, a, in the book when Michael first goes into a, a bar and just the way he's feeling. I drew a little bit on my... Um, my own experiences, my own feelings. When Art, on his journey, when Art took me to one of these clubs in a in a West Hollywood, Oops. and uh, so yeah, so it's inextricably linked to my fr friendship with Art and to Art's own journey, and so some strange, quite mirror image of what was really going on. Nice, nice. So Duncan, when when did you come in on this? Like you. Oh, oh no, there he is. Okay. Uh, when did you come in on this? Uh, uh, you said you just had a synopsis at first. So obviously it's a bigger story than, than what the synopsis was, right? Are, I'm are back. You, you're back. Okay. Did you get that question at all? I didn't get that at all. Sorry. No, not, not, a, not a problem. I'll, I managed I'll to, to kick the trolley the camera was on. Yeah. So I, the question, the question is, is, is um, uh, how, when did you get involved? Uh, at, how did you get involved? And you said earlier uh, that, that you, you just had a couple sentences uh, of, of a description. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so art had been, uh, what, the first thing I did for DC was um, Kid Eternity's three books. Yeah. And each book had a different editor. Karen edited the first one. Art edited the second at least Quitney Edge the third. I, I, I think I don't think anybody had the stamina to to cajole me to get artwork out of me. You know, it's, it was kind of like they were burned out after an issue and they had to move on. Um, but it couldn't have been that bad because I think I, I was approaching the end of um, of the third issue, the, and Art gave me a call and said that, said I want to ask you to 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 do a book and. It's a new thing. It's not for DC, and they wouldn't give me any more information at the time. 
because I assume nothing else is finalised. It's a, all I can tell you is it begins with E. And there's really? two books. Yeah, because it was it was going. I don't think he at the time there were two books he had in mind, and one was Enigma, and the other was The Extremist, which of course was also by Pete Ted with Ted McGee, Ted McKeever. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a third book called Edward, but that never, never <laughs> well, did it? <laughs> yeah, yet to be released. Yeah, really. Obviously. Yeah, and I just and without knowing any more, just knowing it was Pete was enough. Um, Pete was one of my favourite writers. Um, he was. He did my favourite, some of my favourite stuff, certainly, uh, on at two thousand AD, uh, and with Brent, uh, with Brennan McCarthy. I was a I was, I was a big old fanboy, so I, I I was very excited. I'd gone from Grant Morrison to to Pete Milligan. Things things were looking up, so I was excited. Oh, yeah, that's it. You only had to write the letter E. And I was excited, e for excited, and willing to sign on the dotted line. And there was no dotted line at that point. Well, you were an easy date, weren't you? <laughs> it's gotten a whole lot harder, believe me. These days, I require at least a sentence, a paragraph, and and uh, a, a check, or at least a wire transfer. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, changing times. But yeah. uh, um, Duncan's artwork was fantastic when he came on. I mean, it was really. And what was interesting was because it was it seemed such a kind of a private kind of idea between me and then my relationship with arts. And it was really interesting then to get this other person that came in who who um, then started to kind of visualize it. It was really interesting to see this thing which had been such a, a personal interior kind of a, a project. Uh, so it was really interesting. And there's a funny story about uh Duncan's artwork. He was fairly new when he started work on a uh, Enigma, wasn't he, Duncan? I mean, yeah, I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. I just cracked doing painted yeah, okay. artwork, and I didn't know what to do in line was. Being polite, okay. Yeah. But what was interesting? What was interesting is that during, during the during the course of the um, of the book of the comic books, um, uh, I think one could argue that uh, Duncan just got better. His line work became more sure, and and there was a, a kind of a slight change in the uh, style as Duncan just got better at it. Mm -hmm. and he just got better. And we were at a panel um, one time, and one of the and someone in the audience uh, asked asked me, um, what was what was going on? You know, the artwork was kind of changing uh, as uh, as the book progressed, uh, and and things and and, and, uh, and I, I kind of like came up with this piece of old nonsense and I said that well um it's very scratchy at first the artwork and it's very you know that all the drawings are, are slightly off to indicate that Michael uh himself was not quite realized and as Michael the hero became more and more self-realized and understood himself more so therefore was were the drawings of him more uh, reflective of this more self-realized state of mind complete nonsense of course but it really went down well. and uh, It was great. Yeah, but, but the thing <laughs> is, a year later, I was at another convention and I heard a, a similar question being asked and Duncan answered with exactly the same answer. And I think by now, he believed it. When, uh, no, I was relating the same story. It became the truth. <laughs> it was, it was a good truth. version. It was a, it was a better version of, of reality. There's no yeah, doubt about it. It's become true now. 
If you believe it, man. <laughs> it was so fulfilling. It was so fulfilling. The reality was, I was, I was. Um, I mean, it was during that that spin across America tour, wasn't it? And First I think one, yeah. the second issue just came out as we were on the tour, and I was, I was horrified by the artwork, and I was apologising to everybody. It gets better, honestly. It gets better. It gets so much better. I was, I, I, I was just. I've never changed really. It's like the last thing I did was always awful. Ultimately, and the, it was, the, the, the early stuff was nice. I think it was the early stuff was scratchy and finished quality. Yeah, yeah it's different. Like There's that. an energy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you know, yeah, yeah. always had energy. I think that was the thing that was I think that was maintained all through the book. Even when you've got perhaps my more technically uh, efficient, uh, it was still kind again of like, clarity. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I, I actually find the technique in these early issues to be really spectacular because you're it's great. Well, you know, because it's clear that it's it's clear in 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 hindsight, at least that this is because you you were painting prior to this doing, you know, yeah. and you're trying to figure out how to get the light and shadow that you get in paint with with a pen and ink, you know, and it's it's actually. Yeah, that's that's it. It's really, it's a really nice technique, I think. It's a really interesting I point, think... Brian. There's a real sense of him kind of working things out on the page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Absolutely. that is that that really literally was it. It kind of it it's, it is really hard. I mean, going putting through the putting this book together, scanning all the old artwork, going for the back matter. It was it was a hard thing for me to do because it was it was literally like peering into an alien brain that I couldn't actually comprehend. I couldn't see, I couldn't make sense of my actual process any, anymore. It was, it was the strangest thing. It really was. But yeah, I mean, it just, it's the thing is if I'd actually gone in, if I'd had a, a highly developed superhero style, it would have been utterly wrong for the book anyway, I think. Completely. completely. Yeah. Cause we didn't so, want that. I didn't want the superheroes. Uh, uh, the superheroes in, in, in uh, that start to come alive out of uh, out of uh, Michael Smith's childhood fav favorite book. I didn't want them to look like normal superheroes. I wanted them. Uh, I wanted them to real sense. <laughs> well, and, and they don't. Uh, they uh, really don't <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, really. So, well, well, it was for two reasons. Uh, one, because I didn't really know that much about superheroes myself. Obviously, I knew them. I'd written about them, but. Uh, they weren't my thing. Uh, I wanted a real sense of a of a particular, distinct personality behind this comic book, and not just kind of like guy that wrote comic books at all. So, what the distinct character of the guy, you know, who we who we who, we, who um who's a gay person from the counterculture who smokes dope and and has a certain kind of a outlook on life, and I wanted that to be reflected in reflected in uh, the kind of superheroes that he produced. So these weren't the kind of people that would be fighting Superman or, or knocking around with Avengers. They were a bit weird, like they created you know, and I wanted that there, and uh, which is why Duncan, who was not really a superhero artist at all, uh, he was just an artist who did comics, uh, and I think uh, yeah, I think uh, that's why it works, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's, it definitely spoke to me. I mean, it's uh, the nicest stuff 
the stuff that works best is all the, it's the small quiet it's the talky stuff it's the small quiet moments and it, it's actually the stuff as it's turned out that i've enjoyed i've always enjoyed doing more just people having a conversation the boring stuff the talking head scenes sure um i i I've always liked doing that stuff and I still do. It's fun it's fun to pull a performance out of characters to 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 draw you in so you you're not just reading it you're internalizing it so you you know you are t you are experiencing it. And that 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 at the heart is what I I I like about comics. It's the thing com movies are great but they're passive. You're watching them. You do bring experiences to them, but it's kind of like it's they're running in parallel or, or on a different track yeah. in the back of your mind. But with a comic, you are controlling the speed. Well, um, I think really, of, good yeah. really good point. I think that's why horror works differently in comic books mm -hmm. than yeah. it does in, a, in a movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, horror works in movies because you don't have control over the speed. And what's happening next is happening next whether you want it to or not and mm -hmm. it just happens but and you have sound you've got camera movement yeah, you yeah. can create those fake shocks you can't do that in a comic you, you can do it with a page turn but um you, have a page turn, you turn at your own speed don't you I mean, exactly yeah. exactly well, you can still be taken well, in the rest of yeah yeah well and the um, other thing that happens the other thing that happens with comics i find is that it's very common for me to go backwards while I'm reading a comic. You know, I'll read yes. the first eight pages and then go, wait a minute, actually, let me go. I want to go read page four again, you know, and, and you don't, you can't do that in a movie, even in a, even in a novel, it's much more difficult to do it. I think yeah. uh, it, it's just something about the medium of comics and its use of time and space. I, I think it's you're, not, yeah. you're With a book. the audience is complicit in, in the story on some level. And and I think in terms of Enigma, especially, the audience is complicit because the audience is being narrated to uh, by by the central notion of, of the Enigma, essentially. You know? Yeah, I mean we won't give the we won't give the ending <laughs> away. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's I think Grant Morrison called it one of the, the strangest and weirdest kind of endings yeah. he's ever seen in comics. But uh, the story behind that was I wanted I wanted a, I wanted something that operated like a third-person narrative, yeah. uh, but I wanted that narrative voice to have a point of view. Uh, I wanted everything in it to have a point of view. Uh, I yeah. wanted the, the comic books to seem to, the, 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 the superheroes to seem to have a point of view, to come from someone with a point of view, not just a blank superhero. But I wanted the narrative voice to have an attitude towards the characters. The, uh, it's the, the moment when you, it's the moment when you do this, Pete. Pay attention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it was just kind of like it's... I just wanted him to have a, a point of view. You know, some narrative voices, yeah. I find with them, and this is in, in novels as well, I think that if it's just... If it just becomes a bland, grey, on... It's almost like a, a Greek chorus with no uh, with no kind of connection to the action. I yeah. think that when that Greek chorus... Uh, when that Greek chorus actually can be affected by the action becomes more action uh, and as a attitude towards that action it becomes like in as in medea when the uh, the, uh when she's going to do this terrible sorry a uh, greek stuff right here but when she starts <laughs> when medea's going to do this terrible thing and poison her children and her husband 
the good cause really reacts to it. I mean, they're not passive bystanders. They are, they are affected by the action, and they, I, I believe, they try to even stop it. So I think that was all the amazing piece of a. Uh, breaking the fourth wall a bit, and this what is usually used as a as a technique for narrative device suddenly becomes engaged in story. And I think, without saying I was on the, without saying that I put myself on the level of Aeschylus or whoever wrote my, yeah, well, it's nothing to do with that. Uh, but I wanted the narrative voice to have a. To be a bit annoying as well. I mean, to kind of like, like some people are a bit fucking annoying. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, you might have to bleep that out. I presume you don't want me to swear anymore. No, I swear all you fucking want. Oh, good. I don't want to fucking swear. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, yeah, so I wanted an, it. I mean, I want everything for a bit different from our normal superhero book. And I wanted everything to have a point of view. And even if that point of view was a bit. Narky was a bit uh, unpleasant or irritating, and yeah, I think he, I think we managed to be a bit irritating here at that. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Life's like that. Yeah. Well, as I say, you know, and I, I think that it, it it keeps it keeps the audience complicit in the storytelling, and I think that's fantastic. I I also love the fact that the story proper doesn't end and 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 in any other almost any other thing that i i would encounter that it i i would hate that but i i really love it about enigma that that you just don't know you know and it's I mean, fine I'm, I'm trying to think of a way of <coughs> excuse me i've got this uh my my lungs are phlegm factories at the moment they're just like producing it. uh i'm trying to think of a way of explaining my rationale behind the ending without giving the ending away. But I wanted it to be the opposite of what you'd expect and want in a normal superhero comic book. The very thing that a superhero book would normally be building up for, that big moment, that big fire, that big who's going to win the big fire, I wanted to avoid that. And by avoiding it, to say that this hasn't been that kind of book. This has been about this over there. This stuff over there is the important stuff, and this isn't. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 an amazing construction. Is all I can say. Um, uh, I, I let me ask. Let me can we? I, actually, wait. Hold on. We've got a question that I need to ask. I need to put the question up. Um, uh, it's from Eric Heisa. Heiska. Uh, I read somewhere that Peter has requested some characters to look like an amalgamation of himself and his art. <laughs> Is this true? And was the design of Michael Smith conceptualized in this? I can answer this. I, I think uh, you'll, well, be my, uh, you'll be hearing from my lawyer tomorrow. Um, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I remember well, asking you. Michael Smith, well, like uh, Duncan, anyway, I think. Well, he did look kind of, he was kind of based on me at the time, yeah. A little uh, bit. Which is funny because I remember asking Pete, you know, when when the mask is finally removed, um, what what do you want Enigma to look like? He said, "I, I think it's like like a model, some classical chiselled, a little like me." Uh, I, 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 that was a sense of that was humour, an attempt, or basically there was an attempt to be humorous, but also I was I was waiting for you to say, "No, no, no, we're making it look like you, Peter." Uh, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps Enigma looks like how I believed I might want to look. 
But, uh, uh, yeah, he was just, uh, I think, well. We were lucky it looked half decent at all at that point, we were, honestly. Oh, but, but see, I don't, I, I can't think of any character in uh, the book that looks like me. I can't think, I think, uh, I think. Uh, no, it wasn't, he wasn't based on you. It was, I think, um, there was a model, uh, a male model that I'd seen some pictures of. And of course, there was no internet at the time for searching these things out or anything. So I'd just trawl through my wife's fashion magazine. Well, it worked. It worked. And it was yeah. It, it came, it, there were a couple of shots. I said, that's it right there. And I could yeah, never yeah, introduce yeah. it more than no, once. Um, I was hoping originally, I've, an envelope girl originally was supposed to look like Linda Evangelista in my mind. And it never yeah, did. Yeah. Was art, but she, art she looked okay. Did arts get in there at all? I mean, uh, art young? No, no, you know, it's it, it's that, yeah, I mean, it's that problem. It's, it, it, inevitably, the main character always ends up looking like itself because you've got the reference. And I, I, I mean, he pretty much dressed the way I dressed at the time. Um, so it was, I had a, a mirror in my studio and I could act stuff out. If I'm drawing it, yeah, why exactly. change anything? And, you know, I had more hair, a little bit more idealised, I think, and uh, less yeah, a bit. mass. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it was 30 years ago, so I can be forgiven. <laughs> I actually, I want to ask you about um, about the back matter uh and in relationship to the production of the art duncan because i'm astonished that this stuff exists in this form for you to oh. have scanned it yeah i there's more there's so much more but there's only so much space yeah. i i hoard I, I mean i used to um i used to uh scan my pencils at every stage um not scan but xerox yeah. um so I'd have multiple versions of pages. Uh, it's why I could actually correct a couple of the panels in the comic, actually, which were edited for some reason. I can't remember. There are a couple of things which got changed by production. I don't know why. And I managed to get them back to the way they, that I'd drawn them originally. There's a minor bit of censorship I, got, I managed to replace, um, largely because I just kept everything. And I spent months scanning all this dusty old crap last year actually was it last year or a year before time has no meaning huh. um but yeah i mean it's great I, I i've got to give huge credit to richard brunin I, I i i i dumped so much material on him and said you decide yeah and it, it, it and he was great he honed it down made sense yeah. of it all got it into the nearest sort of sense that something would make some sort of sense. And then we'd go back and forth with ad notes. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of work. It, re, it was, uh, since I spent months doing this stuff, but uh, honestly, it was, it was kind of like, you know, we've been waiting to get this book out for so long. Yeah. It, it was it's, worth it. It's a thing of beauty now, isn't it? And I really do believe that the story uh, has, it has like, it has the um, the it has the book that it deserves. I think the production value, yeah, everything about it. I think it's it's just great. I think it's just, it's a thing of beauty. Yeah, have to thank the production yeah. at Dark Horse actually for all the work they did on um, yeah, all, remastering the the art yeah, because I think you have to thank Karen as well. About I think yes, art. obviously, yeah, Karen yeah, Berger, of yeah. course. Yeah. Did you so so you said that you restored some stuff. Um, 
uh, yeah, I, I'm it's assuming small it's, it's all pretty minor stuff. Yeah. But so well, what, did, how did you approach it? Did you, did you do it forensically? Did you like go each page and find the original art and like compare the two and no, I didn't need to because I knew the stuff which had been changed before. Oh, okay, you remember, you remember you know all what? these years later. Okay. I can, it's, it's, some of it's really tiny. I'll give you an example. Uh, if I can find the page, I should have actually marked these pages up. Yeah. They, also, they, they don't have page yes. numbers, so it's hard to... Uh... It does not help, does it? What um... page numbers? <laughs> yeah, there's no, no page insane. numbers. That's insane. Oh. <laughs> I like pagination in a book. What can I say? Uh, the, uh, the the reproduction of this is just it's just really spectacular. I, they, I, I... Uh, the guy doing the production, and uh, I, I forget his name, and I apologize for that. But um, he went to great lengths to correct some of the mid misregistered color stuff that yeah. was printed wrong thirty years back. Um, where you've got haloing around the black lines and whatever. The blacks are solid black. The colours are, are, are much more representative of Sherilyn van Valkenburg's colours, which are beautiful. Um, yeah, it's 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 as it's and, as and, gorgeous. And as all that still existed too. That that so the, the the other part that surprises me, I guess, a little. Well, what the, the pages included in the back matter? Yeah, I think a few 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 of the pages have been returned to me, and I just hoarded it along with everything else yeah. but okay. I, I only had those three pages i think that were included but um, i'm sure the originals still exist somewhere unless it's one of these things you either you know back then whether you could sell it i don't know yeah and but, so in uh, terms of your in terms of your process you you it looks like you're touching every page at least twice that you're that you're doing a layout for yourself yeah and then yeah. on the actual board you're 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 Doing the pencil yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it really ultimately it just comes down to whatever it takes. I mean, by uh, initially it was it would it would have been a case of like doing do, doing thumbnails, layouts, whatever it took to make sense of the story beats, drawing it out full size. But I'd xerox the pencils and often I'd, you know, if I wanted to rescale something, I'd I'd, I'd there was there's a, a travel shop near where I used to live and they had a a, a photocopier, so I walked ten minutes around the corner get them to photocopy uh you know to photostats and right. reductions at various scales I, I got some of the girls who run this place really well and they they, they, they copied every page of that book for me multiple times wow. and i would light box stuff that would need to be scaled up or scaled down and yeah. what what literally whatever it took um the pages the early pages particularly they and you can see it in the back in the back matter yeah. the reproductions of the originals. There is spatter over them. There's uh, whiteout correction. There is patch paper. There's redrawn patch uh, whiteout over the top of that. Whatever it took for me to actually get something down that was actually printable and readable. So yeah. it, it you know literally whatever it took. Oh, I found one of the corrections, but I don't think I better show that one. <laughs> actually one of my favorite one of my favorite corrections was a really tiny one and it's actually this panel here and it's okay. nothing to do with the artwork but right here uh michael's exclaimed to the enigma spoilers here uh about uh about being a character from his favorite comic yeah except in the script it was my favorite fucking comic mm. and for whatever reason john costanza beautiful lettering um yeah. either art said take fucking out or john 
didn't like it, but it was removed. And I managed to squeeze it back in there. Squeeze in the so once a pop, you know, once again, it's his favorite fucking comic. Yeah, it was a isn't it? Yeah, it's important. Yeah, it's, it's, it's punk- that was the only reason it was there in the first place. With them, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was hilarious. When I, I'm so often when I re- would read Pete's scripts, um, my reaction would be, uh, you know, you, you have a physical reaction. I, I would laugh. I, it, it's everything ripped off the page like that. It was. It's, it's what. It's what made it such a joy to draw. I mean, I was just trying to keep up with it, but it's just like these characters demanded the performance to support what was there on the page already. Well, so, this is one of the things that really strikes me about about when I look at your your thumbnail process is how nearly finished these are. I mean, uh. <laughs> I mean they're 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 not they're not print ready, right? But they're like the layout, the you're 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 doing a lot of black that you don't necessarily need to do necessarily. No, you know? I get I, I get carried away with stuff, and I'm testing stuff out, and very often, yeah. I mean, there are very often end up being multiple versions. I mean, it's something I still do today. I mean, I I get it's, at the end, you know, it's that thing. It's like you've got a script in your hand, and uh, there are many ways. If, if it's a film, there are many ways to to direct it. There are many ways to light it. Where are you going to put the camera? What are the characters wearing? Um, how, how are you going to block this scene? And sometimes the choices that would come to me, they, they were innumerable. And I mean, this is, it's, it's, the, it's the process every, every artist goes through when they're translating a script into a comic at the end of the day. And it's kind of like you end up, if you have too many of these ideas, you have to sort of look, you're looking what came before, what came up, what comes next. And you're trying to think like, well, if I do this here, then I know that I can't use that same angle on the next page. So it's kind of like, which which is going to have the greatest payoff? So it ends up taking me so long to do everything because I'm I'm constantly weighing these things up. Uh, frustratingly, I mean, very often, uh, very often the uh, the the layouts are as good as it gets because it's well. I mean, I think it's because it's always the ideal version because it can always potentially get better the moment you start finally doing the art you know the final artwork the moment the pen goes down you're in the world of compromise it's your it's diminishing returns you know you're never going to quite approach the final version of what was in your head um but you know you you just you you know by doing all the prep beforehand making those decisions you try to get as close as you can to it so don't Um, as the story went on were you doing less of that was that why? yeah well, yeah i was i was i had to yeah I, I, so, I mean, well i mean especially by i think there's some layouts for an issue eight in there and by that stage things were really late uh it's great because the, <laughs> the artwork's all in now it's not late anymore um yeah. except for the delays in publishing of course yeah. but that's not that's an that's another story that that one's not on me um I that's why it's those pages were more realized in ink because I was essentially they were my pencils really. I would blow up those layouts then and then I could more directly light box them and not change them. So it was a, a bit more of a direct route. Mm. I was trying to cut out more stages. Um it's one of those things, I mean I, I change it up every time I do a book. And do you feel um, this constant do you feel this constant blowing up and changing and having to go over and over and over, 
reveals a massive flaw in your character. Do you think that Bogarachi? Well, yeah, absolutely. It's fucked up, it. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's fucked up. You know it's fucked up. But <laughs> as long as it gets done in the end, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, and I'll and I'll no. say, you know, I I talk to a, an awful lot of cartoonists, and you know, no two people do it exactly the same way. It's kind of brilliant and spectacular. It's it's one of the things that I most love about comics is that uh, is there's not a right way to do them, you know. No, the biggest compliment I had was unique, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, really I was gonna say the biggest compliment yeah. I had was one time talking to Hal Chaykin, and he said, "You do this stuff really quick, don't you?" And and I said, "Yeah, it looks like that, doesn't it?" <laughs> But, but you know better than that. I, that's the trick. The, 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 ultimate, the, the ultimate thing is like whatever ends up on the page in the end, no matter how labor-intensive it is, no matter what's come before, it's right. trying to make sure it looks like it's just happening. Yeah. It, you know, uh, you, know uh, yeah. It, you don't want it to, somebody to stop you in the tracks. Even if it's ridiculously detailed, you want it to still feel like it's got some energy to it, like it's... You know, it's just happened. It, it's it's the swan on the water, graceful above. Well, I'm not saying my art's graceful, and certainly not at this stage. That's, that's really but interesting. So it's like all the shit's going on under the water. You know, you have to work really hard to look as though you don't work at all. Yeah, yeah. 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 When I'm of, playing uh, games, I'm working yeah. hard. Reminds me of a the, the quote about Mark Twain. Apparently, uh, wrote someone a letter once. And he said, uh, "Excuse, excuse the fact that this letter is so long. I didn't have right, I didn't have time to write a shorter one." Well, that's so. That's interesting, then, Pete. How do you do you do you change your writing style for your different collaborators? Do you did you did you write this differently once you started getting pages? from Duncan? I mean, that's, I think about that. Yeah. My first instinct is to say no, but I was looking at the pages coming in. I was looking, yeah. I was being affected by them. So uh, I think, how can I not have been affected by what I, what I was seeing? I think the central arc of the story, um, what the story was about, what was happening to the central character, I mean, that remains the same, because that's, that's, yeah. that was part of the story. But the other stuff about the superheroes, and when I actually saw, you, know, you imagine these crazy kind of people, and uh, then you see them, I think it must then affect the way you want to talk, the way actually, you put words into their mouths, you know. There was the, um, the stuff with the truth in the church, and I don't think you actually wrote him as getting bigger. And I decided to make him... As the truth gets, you know, yeah. gets bigger, he got. Bi it was, it was a, vis a visual metaphor. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I, I really liked it, and I, I did wonder whether you changed anything like that, anything with that as a result when you saw the pages. Uh no, but I, I think sometimes you did do stuff I was didn't ask for, and I think that's great. I think, well, I think, yeah, smart but, like that. <laughs> that's, but that's what happens you know, as soon as you kind of, when you initially write a, a script, uh, it's. I mean, I, I never kind of, when I think about the characters, when I think of the characters that I'm writing and the scenes that I'm writing, I kind of realised recently that I don't think about them as two-dimensional things that are going to be drawn. I see them as moving characters. 
I, yeah, I, I envisage that's them. how they feel to me as I as yeah, well, I've read, I, I, I read them. Any of the books yeah, we worked on, I envisage them as living, breathing, three-dimensional yeah. characters moving around. So then it's always a bit of a shock when you see them, as it were, regurgitated into these two-dimensional versions of what you had. So it's been a big shift there. And so I think that yeah. you then think, okay, then, so this is actually what they look like. This is in reality. But then when you come to write, you still think about them as these living things. So it's like Duncan is revealing their two-dimensional forms. But in my head, there were three-dimensional forms of this. Does that make any sense at all? It, 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 makes, it makes a certain amount of sense. Is this, let me, let me sense. is this as true uh, if you're writing Batman? No. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, he's just, no, Batman is always two-dimensional. Uh, no, no. Uh, yeah. no, he's not actually. Batman's, Batman's fantastic, you know. Yeah, right. I'm really glad I didn't create him. You know. Um, yeah. uh, uh, um, no, but you know, you know what I mean. The difference between the difference between your own story and your own characters, and and doing work for hire. Uh, think, you know, on something that, is, that, I that is, I think you're right. I think there was different. Even then, there comes a time because whenever I've tried. Whenever I've done a work for hire, like written Batman or something, I've always tried to kind of, you've got to, I think if you're going to do a decent job at it, you've got to, in a sense, make it your own. Uh, for, for that time that you're writing it, it is as though you've created this character. And it is telling a story that you want to tell. And you're not just being dictated to by this icon and by this history. You have to, if you like, use it in a way that you inhabit it. So in a sense, it is three-dimensional to me uh, until I then see it again in its rendered, in its two-dimensional uh, iteration. You, know? yeah. you feel like you have to get into the mindset. You have to believe it. Well, Otherwise, think, you can't live it. Well, I think you just have to um, make it your own by the time that you're writing yeah. it, whether it's John Constantine or whether it's Batman, when you do write it, it has to be your character. Now, right. uh, with Batman, you have to leave him in a certain kind of place that is not too far distant from where you picked him up on. But you can still... Well, I was asked... Um, I, was, I was at this uh, thing called London Content a couple of weeks ago, which was a media and film kind of event in London. Uh, and there was... A, comic books uh, uh, session we talked about and I was asked about um, just that actually like when you write characters that are work higher uh, how different it is from you know the normal stuff that I write and I like to write which are, which are my own stories uh, I said well there, there is a way in which you can uh, uh, use these amazing characters to yeah. to kind of a uh, to tell stories that are very personal. And it's quite surprising. In the same way as, again, I'm not suggesting, in the same way as those fantastic uh, Greek writers, Aeschylus, Euripides, and so forth, they kind of used the myths that existed for thousands of years before them, and, and the stories of Medea, and the stories of, of uh, Oresteia, and, and the stories of Agamemnon. These existed before them, but, you know, they still used them to say something. 
about the society at that time. So for them, it was both this icon that they were dealing with, like Agamemnon was the kind of like, must have been seen as, I guess, like Batman, this this thing that existed and was part of, and, and, and was real in that it, it existed in this, in this culture. Uh, and I think you can still, you can still work for hire and make it a personal story. I mean, uh, for example, I wrote a story a couple, a couple of years ago, a Batman story, uh, and I think I was inspired by. I've been to see the latest Batman movie, and uh, there was all these. Uh, it was just like all this kit that Batman had, all this technical, expensive kit that he had, and it was kind of like he just had so much stuff. And I was thinking, well, you really need to have a lot of money to be able to buy all that stuff. Sure. He seemed to be really then, he really seemed to be exist only because of the capitalist system. Uh, he really seemed to be a part of it, like Wayne Enterprises and the capitalist side of it making money in the capitalist system was the only thing that enabled this version of Batman to exist. And so I kind of wrote a story where they had to really watch their money because it was around the time of the financial disaster, financial crash, and Wayne Enterprises had hit the rocks a little bit, it was losing money. So every time uh, every time Batman fired a rocket, he'd be told, well, that cost like 500,000 uh, pounds. And, and so you have, to really watch the, you have to really watch the sense, you know. And so, so there was a way in which I had a <laughs> reaction to something, and I managed to get it into a story, but still tell right. a Kind of Batman story. Sure, you know? sure. No, that no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Jordan tells me we have another audience question, so uh, let's put that up from Antoine. Hey, Antoine, that's cool. Um, have you ever been tempted to revisit the world of Enigma, not to tell what happened at the end, but to tell other stories? The world was so rich, and it felt like there were more adventures to be told. Yeah, tempted, but I guess. Never quite tempted enough to do it. Also, because I think because because uh, that book was so special to I think to me and to Duncan and to so many people that read it. Always felt one had to be really careful about what you did with it, and you certainly wouldn't want to look as though you were exploiting it in any way. And it just seemed to be such a, a thing of meaning. And one would always be loath to do something which, if you like, degraded that meaning slightly. And uh, so even though I've thought about the world in which Enigma lives and his life beyond, beyond um, uh, the story uh, that we tell, and there's been talk about perhaps even some TV stuff, and I've had to think about other storylines that could happen. and. I haven't done it. But what is interesting, uh, Antoine, is it? Um, yeah. What is interesting is you're right. There is so many other stories that can be told from that uh, from that um, from that book. There's the characters themselves. There's the relationship between there's the relationship between uh, Enigma and Michael. Seems to me seems to me um, fascinating. I mean, it's one thing, and it seems to be to be saying something about. The nature of love itself, that the chase and the and the arrival at love is the thing that Hollywood movies and most stories tend to 
engage themselves with. But that thing that comes next uh, tends to be not talked about. You know, the other side of uh, love, which is, all right, then, uh, where are my socks? You know, but not only that, not only that, but um, I mean, Enigma is this amazingly beautiful, but but he's a a creature not quite human. And yeah, he's, and he's a superhero. What's it like being the lover of a superhero? Yeah, um, let me can, let me actually ask a let me actually ask a question here because um, one of one of the things that struck me really hard on the reread uh, was was how coercive enigma himself is in 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 the story particularly in terms of of the love with michael now michael makes the correct and brave decision at the end of the story but i i think that enigma is ultimately kind of horrible in, in a well, lot of ways it's really interesting you say that because in thinking about what could happen next one of the themes that i start to explore is how much of this, even though it's right for Michael, and, the, and the, Michael's journey was right for him, how much of it has been manipulated by Enigma because it's necessary for, for Enigma. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really interesting point that he picks up, and I'm glad he picked it up. And it would be, if I were to write anything else, either in another form like television or in another comic book, that would be one of the themes I'd explore for sure. Yeah, interesting. Uh, another question, Jordan? Or not? Oh, there is. Okay. Uh, oh, also from Antoine. Question for Peter. If memory serves, Enigma and the Extremist came out very close together. Both characters go on journeys of identity. What was similar and what was different about writing these books? Uh, well, they were quite, hello. Uh, they were quite different books. Uh, but you're right. They're both about identity. But I think that's one of the, uh, I think that's one of the recurring themes in my um, in my uh, in my books. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's just reflective of that I continually search for my own identity, or maybe I do without knowing it. And this is the way I do search for my identity. But um, they both obviously came from a strong feeling I was having at that time about identity. These were times I think. Uh, it wasn't just a personal thing. I think that there were perhaps times when there was a lot of sense of searching for identity culturally in that time, um, uh, and also sexually and emotionally around that, that time. And the people I was talking to, I think, were going on those kind of journeys. And I think that, um, I think those both stories were born from from those feelings of a of if you like this slight. It's like mix that was happening in culture and in personal life around that time, uh, and for some reason these two uh, these two strange creatures were born uh, from that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, just uh, to sidebar that, is there any uh, is the extremist going to ever come back into print? Do you do you guys own it? Have control of the rights? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we own that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you you think that's going to come back to print at some point? Uh, well, it may come back in some form, yeah, or other, you know, yeah. But because I think it's got such a potential, 
uh, yeah. to again to move on to tell more stories because yeah. I quite like quite like uh, I think Borges, uh, the fantastic art, uh, Argentinian writer Borges, he often talked about in his short stories he would he would talk about novels that had existed. Uh, he would reference novels and he would kind of like trace a novel in a kind of a in a paragraph. And he, yeah. he said that he couldn't. He couldn't. Uh, he found the idea of writing a novel unconscionable because it was someone. You know, it was just so big. He thought it was much better to write a short story where someone referenced a short story as though it existed and just in one paragraph spell out all the, all the salient points that he would have covered if he'd ever bothered to write this novel. Uh, and in some ways, I like to do a, a short, uh, a comic book short story uh, uh, series that, if you like scratches the edge of this world, tells a really important story, but suggests a world that exists beyond the pages of this comic book. Yeah. I'd say, yeah. I've decided that's what I do, yeah. Very good. It's not going to be good for a page rate, though, is it? It's just small, big ideas, small amount of pages, less money. Yeah, but I've got a lot of ideas. I want to, I want to tell them, you know. Yeah. I, uh, nice so I, I wonder, as an artist, Duncan, how how easy is that for it on your side right because because in a way in a way writing a script is a relatively easy and 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 quick business right excuse me excuse me <laughs> you, you know what i mean though right like it it it, I'm, it, I'm, it I'm is sorry, physically it's a faster process than than doing yeah the art, you can you write know? crowd scene a lot faster than you well, can draw it can i just interject uh, all joking aside Yes, the process of when I sit down and I have the idea and I, I kind of write the script, but the process of that idea gestating, having that idea, that idea gestating, that idea forming, that can take a long time. A, a thousand percent. I was not trying to suggest otherwise. I meant the kind of the physical execution part of it. Okay. Um, and so what I, what I wonder as an artist, Duncan, is how you decide how and what to take on because so i would put it in terms of this so you, your first two works were kid eternity and enigma kid eternity is controlled by a company that will probably never ever put it back into print again i mean they might for the 35th anniversary edition maybe but you know what i mean like it, it's you're probably sure. never gonna ever earn another dollar on that ever again in your life whereas this you you own at least a portion of it um yeah it i am I'm, I'm curious about that as because for the reasons that i was i was saying because because you know, um, when, when yeah. we look at peter when we look at your bibliography right it has its own wikipedia page that's how long it is right uh Dun duncan's bibliography is is like 12 books you know yeah I think, uh, yes i think it's, it's right you do need to have an, you need to have lots of ideas and write. I mean, and I think that yeah, of course. I mean, I could be, I could, I could be, be writing three monthly comic books at the same time, if I so wished. Yeah. Uh, and I would suggest that Duncan would find it quite difficult to be drawing three uh, ongoing monthly comic books at the same time. <laughs> I wouldn't even consider it. But I think yeah. you're to one, wouldn't you, at the moment? I yeah, one one has always been a problem. Yeah, I've never been, I've never been fast. I'm, uh, um, I can be fast, but I have to do it in a different medium entirely. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I, I make the best choice I can for the book I'm, I, I, I want to do well, mate, and hope that it's going to work out. It um, works. Whatever you're doing, yeah. it works. So. Yeah. But, I mean, it's why... Um, it's why when I was um, doing a, a, a Hellboy, um, which was, you know, it's been successful. I don't own it, obviously, but I, I do make royalties from it, and, you know, and it's good. But when Mark Miller suggested, let's do a, it was a four-issue series originally, yeah. MPH, uh, 10 to 5 and a half, I guess. Uh, why I said yes, I, I, I just said to Mike, Mike, I need to go do this because I should probably own something else or half own at least. And he, Mike, completely understood it. And so I needed uh, MPH, and that worked out really. It was a good choice, yeah. um, largely because of um, Mark selling Miller World to Netflix, obviously. Yeah. Um, had I not done that, I would have drawn probably I found an easier time drawing well maybe not easier drawing more Hellboy and it would have been steady with the royalties but the result would not have been the same um so I mean it's it was a good decision it's why I chose to sue again Poison Hellboy to do some storyboarding work uh it's the first, first chance I had to do some storyboarding work for and it, for, for Noah uh Darren Aronofsky's movie which had should we say mixed reviews but it was a, for me. It was a great experience. It's, it was a chance to work in a using skills I'd I'd learned in comics um, and just watching movies or whatever. Uh, translate that into doing storyboards. Um, what's what's the difference between those two things, Duncan? Uh, what's how, what's the difference in in sort of pacing and timing and and those kinds of things? Did you have to rewire your brain to to? To make the yeah, job. I mean, it was a str- it, it was it was a struggle. It was I kind of I, I kind of gotten yeah. It was it was a struggle because I wasn't really so I wasn't actually while I was on the production or pre-production, I guess I was working from this very room. I wasn't I wasn't working alongside any of the other art departments. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and the Protozoa stable, uh, Aronofsky's um production company I, w- I was here on my own and i would just converse with darren every now and then with by email and the odd um the odd facetime uh, and he'd send me shot note uh, uh shot notation um to go with the script and i would work on it and i, I would have no idea i never had no idea on how much i was supposed to be doing am i am i doing too little am i doing too much no idea. All I knew was I started on Monday and ended on Friday. That in itself was a revelation because comics bleed through the entire week or always had done for me. Um, you know, it's like if there were pages to be drawn, I was always behind. I was always working or worrying or playing games and worrying that I should be drawing, whatever. On the storyboards, I was producing what I was producing and i'd get paid every friday regardless and that was a weird thing but i had no idea i had no marker of where i was in the production no one was telling me we need more of this we need yeah. or whatever um it took a while to realize that it's like oh hey if it was going badly i would have been sacked by now anyway 
and I was I was piling out quite a lot of material. I was working scenes over and over and over, coming up with quite a lot of creative stuff. Certainly in, in, in the initial stages, and you, you 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 the process is different in itself. Well, I mean, my process was different from the point of view of I wasn't making finished artwork. I was doing for me rough pencils and inks, and I was treating it like like a, like a rough open open line style comic. Yeah. And the, the drawings had real energy to them. I, was, I really liked doing this stuff. And what I liked doing was I liked not finishing the artwork. Finishing artwork is a pain in the ass. It's grind. The best a comic is ever going to get, from my point of view, is a thumbnail where it solves all the storytelling problems. And it's I like, think, that's perfect. I think, Duncan, I think you could do a comic in that style. In that un- yeah, it's, it's a mental... I, I do as well, actually. Thank uh. you. I appreciate that. It's a mental leap. It's that problem. It's yeah. like... Uh, it's 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 <coughs> doing the storyboards to make that uh, to make that um, uh, translation. I was probably overdrawing them for the storyboards as well. Storyboards isn't really about the drawing at the end of the day. It's about solving the problem of like uh, of showing okay, this is the camera setup. This is where the actors are. This is what's going on in the background. Right. And I was doing all this stuff at that stage with very little detail of what was actually. I was making shit up, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah. But um, what was I going to say? There, there, there was another. You are considering other stuff. You've got technical stuff, whereas in comics you are controlling it, the, the end point of where you're placing the camera, where you're placing the characters, how the characters are relating to each other. You are you're not just directing it; you're editing it. Obviously, the edit is in the script as well with the dialogue. It's it's all there, but it's the combination. But you do have ultimately they have the control over it all with the. With a film, obviously, you're given an indication of, um, uh, in a two-dimensional drawing, of something which would suggest, it may suggest not just character placement, but also from one shot to the next shot of what the camera might be doing in that that point. So you've got a moving issue um, and a, a temporal issue. You've got movement and time, which is, it's implicit in a comic and it's you're controlling it from the, from, uh the dialogue and the the immediacy of the dialogue and how how you're showing you know how you choose to portray it but obviously there's an actual visual you know movies move in real time yeah and they're edited in real time i don't know um i was making shit up hoping hoping it made sense i did some wildly crazy stuff and uh, as as i got used to the idea of manipulating these things and I don't think I, I, I've only watched it once because I found it really hard to watch because all I can think of like, well, I got that wrong. I got that wrong. I got that wrong. And I realized, well, the reality is I was doing some fancy schmancy stuff in my storyboards, but uh, there was a documentary at the end of the um, the Blu-ray, which is the, the only part I've actually watched on the Blu-ray actually. And there was a moment when Aronofsky says he had some great, he had all these big, big ideas about what he's going to do with these big expensive sets. And it was his most expensive movie at that point. And I think when it got down to his set uh, uh, there with all these thousands of extras and cameramen and lighting, and whatever, everybody around this very expensive production, it's like, well, instead of all this exciting stuff that was going to go between A and Z, it's like we, we uh, that are, you know, that I was planning to do where I was going to move the camera here, there, and everywhere. It's like we're just going to get from A to Z as 
you know, the, the quickest, most efficient way possible because this is all costing money now. Right. You can be creative in the storyboards, but you can't. But at the end of the day, it's like the the reality channel set. I can't imagine what it must be like to get that stuff in motion. I don't know. It was it was a great it was a great experience though. What was the question originally? I forgot where we started. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Oh no! <laughs> it's a conversation. It was, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it was it was it was it was relevant, wasn't it? It was about the um, yeah, I, you know, the relatively few books I've drawn. Yeah. Uh, how do I choose them? And and I'm not saying I'm choosing them from the point of view of the money. You try and make a point that's going to keep you interested. Um, and I, it's not always worked out, but most mostly it has. Yeah. Uh, I think we have another one more. One more. One more viewer question. Let's pull it up. Oh, come on, Jordan. Supposed to be ready. <laughs> uh, mad, mad monkey guy. Mad mod monkey god. I am really curious about whose Duncan fine art influences and comic book influences are, just in general, as well as at the time of working on the Enigma. Um, back then, it would have been. Uh, so coming through, um, so yeah, coming off um, Kid Eternity, the stuff that influenced that was obviously stuff like um, Dave McKean and uh, Bill Sankovich and George Pratt, Ken Williams. Um, and I, I think there's probably still elements of that coming through in the line work on on, on Enigma. But the, the 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 interesting thing is, and I think I touch touch on it in some some of the writing, the back matter uh, for Enigma. Um, I was coming into contact with a lot of other artists back then as well, like Alex Toth, and, and uh, I'd come across Mike Mignola, which is it's funny. And I can there is stuff in in Enigma work. Oh, I recognize. Oh, yeah. That's where I was looking at a lot of Mike's work. And this is obviously way predating um, Hellboy and whatever. I, I, it was one of those things. Uh, Sherilyn had colored um, Mignola's Fafford and the Grey Mouser done a beautiful job on it. And I think I, met, I think I tell a story in the book about that. I was, I was shocked to see that my work colored on Enigma for the first time mm -hmm. because it didn't, it didn't look like Fafford and the Grey Mouser. But it's Sherilyn. How can that be? And then I realized it was me. Right. It was the problem. <laughs> the it's always problem. me that's the problem. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, if a glass can be full or empty, or half full or half empty, it's always half empty with me. Um, it's not an intentional thing. It's just the way, you know, it's, it's, it's just the way I tend to see stuff, I suppose. Um, yeah. What, what else was I looking about that? Obviously, I, I I was I was very big in into Klimt, and because of all the little whirly designs, all, all the Klimt test designs, I'm not even sure why that got incorporated at the time. I I, I, I don't remember. It might have been a response to I had a, um, uh, a I remember getting a, a, a letter from Art. I think uh, Art, Art and, Mark, and Pete were in a convention in uh, I think it might have been Italy. And Art had written letters describing what he thought Enigma should look like. And he described a guy in an opera mask and waistcoat and cloak and whatever. And I think as I was drawing that, it pretty much all, all the little, uh, little little walls and stars and whatever started to appear. So that, that's your Klimt right there. Um, what do I look at now? 
you know, I don't even know. I tend to, I mean, the stuff I, 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 I tend to respond to is, is work like, well, I mean, I've, been, I, I looked at a lot, I've looked at lots of Jump or Leon recently in terms of comic art. Obvious, I mean, I always did. It's fantastic. And he's a fantastic artist, regardless of whether he's passed or not. It's an appalling loss. Um, but got pulled back into his work again recently. It's as fabulous as it ever was. Mike's a big influence, obviously. Um, Ian Gibson, who drew Halo Jones for 2000 AD, was a, a, a big influence um, back in the day. I adored the Halo Jones story. And in fact, there's still stuff I do now that relates entirely to the way Ian Gibson would visually tell a story. He had some ideas on if you change the angles, uh, the, the angle of viewpoint in the panel, it would it would change, it would alter the way you would read, not just the image, but it would affect the flow of time because it takes mm -hmm. the mind time to adapt to that angle. And just he, the way he would um, use body language, he had a very distinctive body language of the way he drew all his girls, which I loved. Um, there's way too many and if i if I, I i start to start to list i'll probably never stop so, <laughs> i like people who draw really really well yeah actually. yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm there i'm there with you um we're getting close to the end i think here um so so let's so there's two questions that we can we can end with here um the, the first is, is there anything that you guys have upcoming that you'd like to plug uh, that, that you're that you're working on, that you're especially proud of? Are you working on something? I mean, Duncan, I, I don't think we've seen a comic from you in six years no, or so. I, are, you, are you working think, on something? I am working on something, actually, yeah. I have been taking some time out. I, I took some time out. After, when, when the Netflix deal went through, I took time out and it's partially because I, I, I did things like I had an exciting cataract operation and I broke my ankle and, and these things tend to wipe time out completely. Yeah. Um, but I was also, uh, uh, the, the intention was like, Hey, I've, you know, I've got some money. I've got a studio in the garden. I was going to go and paint and it never really, it's all coincided at the same time I was breaking my ankle. Never really happened. I could never quite work out what I was going to do. I thought I was going to do some more storyboarding. That didn't work out because of COVID. Um, but I am finally back working on a comic. I can't really, it's not been announced, so I shouldn't, sure. I shouldn't yeah. specifically, I think it'll go down well. I think people, people will like it, so. Very nice. Do we? Uh, do you have a rough time frame when we can expect the mystery comic? <laughs> Judging by the speed I'm drawing at the moment, no. <laughs> I've got a fair, I've got a very very loose um very very loose schedule um but I I I am trying I'm trying it's all thumbnailed it's all yeah. thumbnailed I I've, I've been through the first issue to the last issue every page is thumbnailed and nice. stuff is designed covers of uh d designed so now I've just got the laborious job of drawing the yeah. damn thing yeah. but it's coming it's coming together it's looking good actually what what I've done so far yeah. About about how often, uh, like how many pages a day, a page, or how long does it take you to do a page is the question. Yeah. I, I have no idea. No idea, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's too long. 
too long yeah. at the moment. But I'm sure by the yeah. time I get to the end of it, I'll have nailed it again. Right. Um, I'm never, I'm never going to be fast. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, that's Don't hold good. your breath. It's all right. It's all right. Well, it's worth waiting for, I think. Um, well, thank you. Pete, so, uh, Pete what, do you, what do you want to plug? Well, uh, like Duncan said, there's a, I'm working on a, a number of projects, all of which I'm really excited about. But some of them I can't really talk about quite yet because sure. every, everyone has their own media department and uh, yeah. they they want to kind of like manage the, uh, the uh, declaration of this thing. Uh, but I'm working for some really good stuff with AWA. Um, uh, as well, it's, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic organization. Um, but there's a new story coming out there, I'm really excited about. But I have two coming out there, uh, coming out soon, and I'm really excited uh, about them. And I think they're gonna be really, really good. A uh, bad idea, um, at the moment, coming out is a, is a pirate story called Pirate Queen, and um, that's fantastic. I mean, I just, I just love it, I think it's one of the best things I've done. The artwork is insane. Um, it's just amazingly brilliant. And so I'd, I'd advise everyone to check out the Bad Idea story called Pirate, Pirate Queen. Over at um, Vault Comics, uh, the good people at Vault Comics, I'm doing a, a story called Human Remains, which is a kind of a horror, nasty, disgusting story, but, you know, with a lot of humanity as well. And, uh, and um, so I'm really excited about that. And... Uh, Aftershock Comic, I've got a really good relationship now. I've got some really good ideas with them. And uh, I'm really liking, uh, you know, some of these smaller uh, independent companies uh, that have been springing up. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think there's a lot of fantastic uh, young uh, young companies coming up. And I think that, I think that, I hope they're the future of comic books because I think uh, they really give a great platform for people like me and Duncan and uh, other people to really express themselves, really tell stories that they want to tell and try to use comic books, I think, the way they should be used, which is to tell the stories, personal stories that our creators want to tell. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. And I think that I, I think... Excuse that me, may, may, may I say that, of course, a Marvel comics, uh, the long-awaited excellent, uh, but mm. with me and uh, Mike Allred, which is kind of like in the ecstatics world, is uh, finally going to be uh, published uh, early next year. Uh, COVID kind of pushed it back quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, it's finally going to come out, uh, I think, in February next year. And uh, and it's been amazing working with uh, Mike Allred and, and Laura again. Uh, and they, uh, the artwork is just as brilliant as it was in uh, Ecstatics. And it's a new story. It's a new superhero team. It's a new superhero comic. But it involves some of the old characters that you will recognize. So if you like, can you, can you go home again on on a book like that? Uh, is it is it hard? Is it easy to? Well, you have to have something new to say. Yeah, it's quite simple. I think that if you're trying to say the same thing, yes, yeah, waste of time. Uh, but if you've got something new to say and the world has changed and you're and you're using that template to talk about something else, yeah, absolutely. Good. All right. Awesome. Just sounds great. That sounds yeah. great. Um, all right. So, so the last question we usually wrap this up with is, um, this is a, a series of, of videos that we do uh, conversations. We're somewhere at 230, something like that of these things, uh, with this one. Um, and we get a lot of people who, who watch these, not just because they like comics, but also people who want to make comics, you know, they're, they, 
but they're not quite there yet. They haven't, they haven't made the leap. They, so what's your piece of advice to an aspiring creator who would like to, to do work in comics? Um, it can be a physical thing. It can be an emotional thing. It can be a technical thing, a spiritual thing, anything you want, but what would be the, the piece of advice that you would, you would give someone who wants to work in comics? But, uh, you want to start or um make sure you really want to do it ha. um i mean really want to do it because it'll take everything out of you that you've got and ask for more so be prepared to do that um you'll be fine um and just try and hang on to um the reason you wanted to do it for in the first place if you can keep in mind why you wanted to draw it it's like it's like the tough cut the tough times during it will be a lot easier if that makes sense you know it's um it, it you might it it really depends on the person uh on, on the individual ultimately For me i i find it tough uh, i've always found doing comics hard but um i'm make them harder for myself i guess it's my nature um but it's the only way i know how to do it so um i put up with it um yeah i i, sure I, I love that answer <laughs> that answer is both both beautiful and heartbreaking i i yeah I love it's that. real I, look, I, listen, no, I get it i get it i get it two, two, uh, two guys i know best in comics sean phillips charlie Ivlard. To the fastest guys, yeah. most prolific. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, st I still get on with them. Still like them. Yeah. They do great work. But yeah. and then there's me. I <laughs> kind of like the complete antipathy to yeah. that to their approach. But it's kind of like you can't do. You've got to be yourself at the end of the day. And you can you can try and wish it away. Um, but it's kind of like you. It, it, it's like well pay for the therapy or just accept it and just get on with it. And I, I, I yeah, I kind of get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete, same, same question to you. Oh, uh, well, I can only talk from a writer's point of view. I think, uh, I think uh, rather than trying to be a clone of someone else that you like, you have to find a way of saying what you want to say and being yourself. And as Duncan said, you have to know why you're doing it, why you're doing a particular story, why you want to do comics. I think that know why you want to do it and then hold on to it. And uh, But that's, every single individual story is the same. Why do I want to write this? Why do I want to write this in comic books? Why is it best to do it for comic books? And I think uh, they're the important questions. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I want to I wanna thank you guys for taking the time to be with us this morning. Well, your afternoon, uh, but, but my morning. Um, I really, you know, I, and I especially, I want to thank you for this amazing book. This is, is really a terrific book. And I, it, it touches people. It makes people think. And, and, you know, here we are almost 30 years later. And, and you know, people, uh, people, people are excited by it. And this new edition. Mwah. This is the prettiest yeah. one of the classic clubs that we've been able to do. Um, also, if people at home, hey, put, put me on a one shot, will you, Jordan? Um, uh, uh, for people at home, uh, there's a, a book plate that comes with uh, if you if you buy and signed by both of them. 
and it's original you can only get it from us and it's and it's comes with every copy you buy from us so you should buy a copy from us um the enigma was this month uh coming up the next show is wednesday uh we're talking to nk jemison and um and jamal campbell about far sector for the adult club um and then next sunday we're talking to kelly fernandez about manu uh, which is a really fun and funny book uh for the kids club next month's uh comics masterpiece uh club will be whiteout uh and we've got greg rucka here to talk about making comics which should be a awesome conversation so um you know hopefully you all enjoyed all of that and you you go i want to be a member of this club and <laughs> and get all these cool books every month because that's that's a good thing um i want to make some thanks and my thanks are especially to jordan who's running the camera uh doing the show i want to thank my staff uh zoe and cat who i could not exist without without existing here uh and i want to thank i want to thank pete and uh and duncan for making this book um i want to thank you for taking the time but i really i want to thank you for making comics i profoundly want to thank you for that because if you guys didn't make comics i wouldn't have anything to sell um and so <laughs> it it you know I, I i love i love comics and i love you guys and and thank you so much well thank you well thank you all right we'll see you guys next month yeah have a good one yeah, cheers, buddy.